this nation needs, this world needs. So, Father, as we go into the book of Jeremiah in chapter 26, um, we see that Jeremiah would go through persecution. He would go through difficulty because he was faithful to give in your word. And, Lord, these all are perilous times, and your word tells us that the days in which we are in, that, um, that the condition of man... Um, would be a condition that is far from you. Um, perilous times, lovers of self, lovers of money, brutal, um, boasters, you know, uh, those who are brutal. Uh, that described uh, in Second Timothy chapter 3, but, but Lord, we know that you are working as well. And I know that you love the church and you're still using the church. And as Christians, we can kind of feel a little edgy. We can feel a little distant because of the restrictions, even as we meet, but uh, the length of time that we've been apart. And, um, but Lord, you still want to work and use us and, and help us not to lose heart. Help me not to lose heart. But Lord, to look forward to you. And Lord, even tonight as you teach us, even as we talk about Josiah, when he heard the word of God that was read to him, he tore his clothes and, because he was convicted. And may it quicken our hearts like that to where, Lord, we want to turn to you and walk after your ways and draw close to you. Lord, that you would just bless us and teach us tonight through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in Jeremiah chapter 26, we're about halfway through the book of Jeremiah, that we read, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying, Now, keep in mind, we talk about Jehoiakim, Josiah, who was killed in about 609 B.C., uh, up in the valley of, uh, of Jezreel, the valley of Megiddo. And he went after the king of Egypt, and he was killed by the king of Egypt up there. He was the last of the godly kings, as we've discussed quite extensively going through our study of Jeremiah. And it was during the reign of Josiah that Jeremiah began his ministry. As a matter of fact, we know from Second Chronicles that when Josiah was killed, that Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And the thought is that perhaps that they even grew up together. So Josiah, as he was king, you know, at a very young age, later on would hear the word of God. He would put the reforms in, in establishing uh, worship again, temple worship, cleaned up the temple. And when they were cleaning up the temple from his grandfather, uh, Manasseh, and his father, Jotham, that, you know, just had uh, idols and, and trashed out the temple, they found the book of the law in the corner, and it was read to him. And it says that Josiah tore his clothes. And as I think about that, uh, and he would immediately, as he said, so wonder that our nation is going through such difficulties because we have forsaken the word of the Lord. We've forsaken his ways. And, and the more that we as a nation forsake the ways of the Lord, the more difficult it becomes. So my prayer is, even as we go through the word of God tonight, but as the word of God goes out and we proclaim it, 
that people's hearts would be stirred and, and, and quickened and, and convicted and we would turn back to the Lord because that's our hope. So here is his son Jehoiakim. Remember Jehoahaz, he would come to the throne immediately after his father was killed by the king of Egypt. He only reigned for about three months and then he was taken to Egypt. And so Jehoiakim would reign for the next 11 years. He would be reigning in the first wave of captivity as Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem. He would take Daniel and the choice men of Judah off into captivity. Daniel would be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. His friends too, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you can read about them in the book of Daniel. And then uh, right about the time that Jehoiakim uh, was, it is believed, killed by his own people because Nebuchadnezzar was going to come in and destroy Jerusalem in about 598 BC. So the people took care of Jehoiakim. They would have him put to death and and Nebuchadnezzar spares Jerusalem but he comes in in 597 BC and he takes Ezekiel and some other people away and he's taken the treasuries of the Lord away and then the third and final wave is when Zedekiah we're going to read about him in the next chapter that Zedekiah would reign for the last 11 years the, the other son of Josiah and he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC destroys the temple. But here as we begin to read this, Jehoiakim, he was not a godly king at all, that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah to speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, verse 2, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah and the, um, which come to worship in the Lord's house. So I find that interesting. Jeremiah, go to the court of the Lord's house and you speak to those who are coming to worship at the Lord's house. In other words, those who are coming to worship. And we got to remember that as we've been going through Jeremiah here, we've seen the condition of the hearts of the people. They were ones that were given over to immorality, covetousness, greediness, violence. They were following the dictates of their own hearts. They refused to listen to the Lord. But here's the thing to keep in mind, that they were still coming to the house of the Lord. We have seen that. And many of the messages that Jeremiah has been giving of turn back to the Lord, judgment is coming, has been there at the entrance of the house of the Lord. As they would come in, there was still a form of religiousness. They were coming and still being religious, but they were worshiping Baal. They were worshiping their idols. They were listening to the false prophets and the false teachers in their false message that nothing's going to happen to us. It's peace and prosperity. And Jeremiah is given the word saying, turn away from those false gods. Turn away from that religiousness. We saw that the women would bake cakes to the queen of heaven. So they were involved in all kinds of, of uh, false practices. They were even so far away from the Lord that it tells us that they were sacrificing their own children in the arms of Baal and Moloch there in the Gehenna Valley. So they have a form of religiousness. They're coming to worship, but it was a false worship. And the Lord was saying, why have you gone after those idols? Turn away from those idols. Turn to me. Come back to me. So, Jeremiah, you go to the house of the Lord, church. 
And you stand there, there are those who are coming to this false worship, and you're going to speak this word. And as we continue reading all the words that I command you in verse 2 to speak to them, do not diminish a word. And so, Jeremiah, speak all that I command you to do. Do not diminish a word. In other words, don't alter the message. Don't take away from the message. Don't distort the message. And it would be very courageous for Jeremiah to do this because they had rejected Jeremiah's difficult message and the false teachers were only trying to please the people. Matter of fact, we have seen that Jeremiah's already been put in stocks and chains and they thought that would teach him a lesson. But Jeremiah very courageously continues to give this message of the Lord that turned to me. Judgment is going to come because you've forsaken me and you have followed the dictates of your evil heart. Today there are those places that are called houses of worship that will deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They will deny what the Bible says as far as biblical morality or what the Bible says about biblical marriage between a man and a woman, uh, to live for the Lord. Uh, they will deny the, the uniqueness of salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ and the cross. They will say, just believe in Jesus, in the sayings of Jesus, but they deny who Jesus is, what he did for us in salvation, it comes through repenting from sin and turning to him and calling out to him. They won't talk about sin. They won't talk about repentance. They just talk about God in general and God loves us all and live any way that you want and worship any way that you want. What we see in some houses of worship today is similar to what we see here in Jeremiah's day, that they were worshiping all kinds of deities. They had all kinds of messages that were not according to the word of God. So today, as we see that increasing, that, that we need to make sure that we are giving the whole counsel of God, the truth of God's word, that we're given the message of the cross, that Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me, that he is our salvation, that we are to turn away from sin, we are to repent, and, and sometimes people don't like to hear that word, or they think, you don't want to use that word because it's a harsh word. It's a very wonderful word. I mean, really think about it, that we can turn away from the direction that we're going in sin and in death and, and on the broad road to destruction, as Jesus said, and we can turn and we can go to the narrow road and we can find the way of life. We can go from darkness to light. We can go from death to, to life. Repenting is a wonderful word. It just simply means turn direction. Because if you go direction of the world or that which is false, the false message of the world, then it's going to lead to destruction, as Jesus said. And we love you and so much here at Calvary Chapel to give you the truth. That Jesus is your salvation. And he's calling us to repentance. He's calling this nation to repentance and to turn to him just as Judah was being called to repentance. And to know that he loves us and he loved us so much that he went to the cross to provide that forgiveness and salvation and right relationship to the Father. And as we start our teaching here tonight, I, I want to get you early. If you're listening right now and you're not right with God, will you turn to him? He's calling you. May the gospel quicken your heart 
that you realize that this world is not going to be your salvation. Yourself trying to be righteous is not your salvation. It's Jesus alone. And when he went to the cross, he did it for you. He knew all about you. And tonight he says, come to me. I love you. I'm your salvation and forgiveness. I want to make you a new person. I want to forgive you. I want to bring you into the family of God. So Jeremiah, don't diminish the word of God. One of the things about teaching verse by verse here at Calvary Chapel is I have to give you the word. And I'm not here to to tickle your ears, but God's word will build you up if you embrace it. And we know that, as I want to remind you again, and many of you remember this, as we finished Second Timothy uh, right before this pandemic hit and we had to, uh, to stop in-person services. But those of you who remember, it was such a powerful study last February as we finished. But it was Paul the Apostle in his last words um, to the church and to Timothy before he's put to death. He writes that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. And he goes on to say that uh, there are those who are going to have this form of godliness, but denying this power. And from such people turn away, he says. There's going to be those who are of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. He's given this warning. This is going to happen. Know this. This is for certain. The last days, that is going to be very difficult, dangerous times because of, of those who come on the scene, corrupt minds, counterfeits, those who, who seem to have this form of godliness, but uh, they don't hold to the truth. And he, he goes on to say in his last exhortation to Timothy before he's put to death, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up from themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I want to remind you what it was that, that he wrote to Timothy in his first letter, that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So Paul also says that in the latter times, some are going to depart from the faith. They're going to give themselves over to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. And we have seen the church at large, uh, more and more houses of worship that are moving away from the truth of God's word. And they're accepting that which is false, that which is demonic itching ears, you know, tickling people's ears, not enduring sound doctrine. And it's so critical for us to continue through the scriptures, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, getting the whole counsel of God's word and knowing that all scripture is inspired by God, it is infallible, it is inherent, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I would refer you to those studies that we did in 2 Timothy 3 and, and 4 because I think it will really encourage you. And, and we have good reason to believe this book, the Word of God. It is God-breathed to the page, given to us, and we are to proclaim it. And I pray that we would pr- proclaim it 
with love and speak the truth in love, but in honesty. And uh, that's what Jeremiah was told to do. Don't diminish a word. And he would be very courageous, as I said. And you'll see why here as we continue on in verse 3, that perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law which I set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them. Remember, there were other prophets that were on the scene. And even before this, there was Isaiah, there was Micah, his uh, contemporary. There are others. You know, Isaiah was ministering when the house of Israel was still intact, the ten northern tribes. And then early in his ministry, and Isaiah's ministry lasted for 40 to 50 years, and and they would go off into captivity in 722 B.C. And then Isaiah would continue to speak during the days of um, Ahaz, who was a terrible king. Not right with the Lord. Plunged the nation deep into idol worship for them to turn back to the Lord. And we know that Jeremiah, early in this book, he said to the house of Judah, you should have learned from your sister Israel what happened to them. They went off into captivity. And we can see what happens to people's lives when they don't take heed to the word of God and they follow their own ways and they do what is right in their own eyes. And if you've ever done a study in the book of Judges, that's the whole theme of the book of Judges. For 400 years, the nation of Israel, after that generation, Joshua, who went in and they conquered the land and there was victory because they moved out in faith. They believed the word of the Lord that I've given you this land. And it's a book of victory. But then we see that Joshua, uh, Joshua, after that generation, after he tells the people that put away your idols, they were already beginning to worship idols of the Canaanites. He said, put them away and choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I hope and pray for all of us that we would say, as far as me, as far as me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. No matter what culture says, no matter what society says, no matter what the latest philosophy is, we are going to serve the Lord. And that generation, as you move into the book of Judges, which was a book of defeat, that you see this cycle of them being under bondage because they had forsaken the Lord. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And that generation after Joshua says they forgot the Lord and the works of the Lord. And we see that it went from bad to worse. It goes from bad to worse till finally when you go into 1 Samuel, they repent from their idol worship. And then comes the days of David who had a heart after God. And you see if an individual or a community or a state or a nation that forsakes the Lord and does what is right in their own eyes, it goes from bad to worse. I'm going to be real honest. I'm just sharing my heart. Three and a half months ago, if you would have said, that there's going to be a pandemic and it's going to shut down churches for three months. People are going to lose their jobs. The economy is going to tank. Um, everything's going to be closed down. Uh, if I would, you would have said that you're going to see riots, you're going to see protesting, you're going to see all the things that we're seeing. 
that if I would have said that, you would have said, no way. There's no way it's going to happen. And talk of, of defunding and, and abolishing police forces. And I know there is the talk and the necessary talk of reforms and, and all of that. And I know that discussion is necessary. But when I see that there's anarchy and, and part of a city is taken under control, and I think, what is going on? And I wonder, how bad is it going to get in the next three and a half months? I don't know. I pray for our nation. I know the Lord wants to save our nation. I know the answer to all the problems that we're seeing is turning to the gospel. Because he died for all. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And I know that there's a problem with sin and sinful humanity. And when they begin to follow the dictates of their heart and forsake the word of the Lord and what God has ordained, then it's bad news. And it's on a road that, that is going to lead us to more difficulty and more trouble. That's why we need to be praying more than ever and we need to be sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ because he is the answer. And so as I, I read this, I, I think, wow, the, the prophets that came and, and they would not heed as we read, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, I sent to them, but you did not heed them. Verse 6, then I will make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. And as we read this, Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle was after the wilderness wandering. They uh, came in, and, and for many years, for a few hundred years, uh, I believe that, that the tabernacle was in Shiloh. And it's kind of in the heart of where Israel is. It's in what today is what we call the West Bank. And, and I've been to that place where they've excavated where Shiloh was. And the tabernacle was there. And as you move into 1 Samuel chapter 4, where it was towards the end of the days of the judges, uh, we know that the Philistines uh, would capture the Ark of the Covenant. The, the people were not right with the Lord. They were doing battle with the Philistines. They got defeated. They decided, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant, that chest that's in the Holy of Holies, had a lid on it uh, made of gold of two cherubim. And as you know as you, from our Old Testament studies, that the Lord told Moses that I'll meet you and I'll meet my people between the cherubim. It was in the Holy of Holies. And that's where the high priest would go in once a year to, to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. That's where the tangible presence of God was, the Shekinah glory of God. And what they did is they said, let's take the Ark of the Covenant out and let's go to battle. And the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. And when the message came back to Eli, who was the high priest, that, hey, there's been a great slaughter of the children of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And your sons, Eli's, your two sons who were uh, wicked, you know, and, and uh, that's a lesson for another time, but they were not right with the Lord, and they were killed in battle. When Eli heard all of that, he fell over dead. He was an elderly man. He fell over. He broke his neck, and his daughter-in-law went into labor with child and had a son and called him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. Shiloh eventually would be taken off in the Assyrian captivity. 
And here is, there's this comparison, what's going to happen? I'm going to make this house. Remember, he's at the house of the Lord. He's at the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon's temple was a magnificent temple. I'm going to take Jerusalem. I'm going to take this temple, and it's going to be desolate, just like what happened to Shiloh when it was taken away. And as we continue, so the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speak in these words, in the house of the Lord. So here are the people, the religious leaders. They're at the house of the Lord, the priests and the prophets, who were given a false message. We continue in verse 8, that now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You will surely die. And why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying that this house shall be like Shiloh? They knew what happened to Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant. And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. And when the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And all the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people saying, this man deserves to die for he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your ears. So Jeremiah, uh, the, he gives the word, uh, and everything that he said flew right in the face of what these false prophets and teachers were saying. They assembled there at the gate of the city where judgments were made, and they said, Jeremiah must be put to death. This is all coming from those from the house of the Lord, the spiritual leaders. And I know that there are those who claim to be spiritual leaders that will come against those who are true to the gospel, true to biblical morality. They are true to what the Bible declares to us. And there are those voices out there that will come against you, against me, as we are giving the truth of God's word, as you're teaching your children the truth of God's word, as you're raising them in the ways of the Lord. There's going to be more and more coming against us and, and leaders, and there's going to be even religious leaders that will come against us that claim to speak on behalf of the Lord and, and the things of the Lord. And I think we're seeing that more and more in the day in which we are in. And Jeremiah, they're saying he must die in verse 12. And Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do as to me as seem good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city and on this inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all the th these words in your hearing. Jeremiah gives his defense. He makes three points here. Number one, the Lord has sent me to give you this message and to speak against you. Jeremiah didn't do this with finger pointing and snarl, snarl on his face. He he was the weeping prophet. It broke his heart to see this happening to God's people. They forsaken him, rejecting the message. Jeremiah wept over that. He knows that devastation and destruction and death is coming to this city because of their rejection of the Lord. But he says, if you listen and repent, there is hope. 
and you do to me what you, you seem that you're going to do. But if you kill me, you're going to bring guilt of innocent blood on your hands, and God's going to deal with you. It's a very courageous message that Jeremiah has given. And I know that God has sent us to give a message of the gospel, of his love. He gives us a message to give to others. And part of that message is, if you do not believe that I am he, Jesus said, that you will die in your sins. If you will listen and repent, there is hope. There is a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we get persecuted for that, because keep in mind this, that Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, and those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And it's a verse that we don't always like to listen to or to read, but here's the thing. The Lord says that those of us who live godly will experience some degree of persecution in our lives. And it may end up increasing. I pray for revival. I pray for a spiritual awakening. But I also know very well that there could be that persecution comes to us as Christians. I don't know what the future holds, what the days and the weeks and the months hold for us until the coming of the Lord when he takes his church out. But it could be more difficult for us. I pray that there's a spiritual awakening in our nation, but it could be that there is revival that happens through persecution because that's what happened in the book of Acts. When there was persecution, the, 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 there was the church that grew, and you, you hear of that through church history. And the fastest-growing church right now in the world is in Iran. And Iran... The church is growing, and those Christians are being persecuted. And I've heard reports, I've read about them, how uh, the Iranian government has come in and, and killed Christians and found them. And, but yet the church is growing, and, and even in, in places of communist countries, China, North Korea, they're not sure how many Christians are there, but in China the church is growing. In different parts of the world where they're being persecuted, the church is healthy, the church is growing. You do to me as you seem good and proper to you, but know this, that I'm here to speak all these words in your hearing. And in verse 16, so the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Morris hath prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruin, and the mountain of the temple like the bare, bare hills of the forest. Verse 19, Did Hezekiah king of Judah and all Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. So apparently, as we look at this, there were some soft hearts because I believe of the reforms of Josiah. It, it was revival that took place in some of the hearts of the people, for the most part, it was reforms. It was religious reforms. People were just kind of going with it because as soon as Josiah died, they went right back into idol worship. Uh, 
They went right back into false worship and, and following after their own ways. But there were some that came out of that, that time of Josiah's reforms and calling for temple worship that was true revival in their hearts. And, and so some of them are speaking up here. And they point back to, to the days of Hezekiah. In the days of Hezekiah, he comes on the scene after Ahaz. Ahaz, another terrible king of Judah, two of the worst kings, uh, Ahaz and then Manasseh. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. And as Hezekiah was on the scene, he was a godly king, and he brought a revival to Judah. He celebrated the Passover. He was a godly king. He made some mistakes, as you read about him. He tried to pay off the enemy, the king of Assyria, with some of the gold and silver from the temple and said, hey, leave us alone. Don't attack us. And Hezekiah learned very quickly that you don't make a treaty, a peace treaty, with the enemy because he's a liar. And listen, he will take the goods and he will rip you off and he'll keep coming at you. Don't ever compromise with the enemy. And that's what Hezekiah learned. Hey, take the gold, take the silver, let's make a peace treaty. Leave us alone here in Judah. I know that you've gone into the ten northern tribes and, and taken them captive, but leave us alone. And so the king of Assyria took the goods and said, okay, but we're still going to come. And they ended up surrounding Jerusalem. And you can read about that as you go into the book of Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. And you read about how Shennacherib comes uh, and the king of Assyria and they're threatening Hezekiah. They have this massive army, all these troops. They had taken many of the cities of Judah already. And all that was left was the mighty magnificent city of Jerusalem with the temple. And Shennacherib, he's hurling threats at Hezekiah and the leaders up on the wall. And, and they, he gives them a letter from the king of Assyria to surrender. And Hezekiah goes in. He goes into the house of the Lord and he lays out the letter and he puts on sackcloth and he prays and he fasts and the leaders pray and fast. And that night the Lord relented the judgment that would come against Jerusalem because they repented. They turned to the Lord and an angel came and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Can you imagine the scene that was? That all of a sudden the people woke up and they come out on the walls and they look out and there's all these corpses that are out there. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Assyria was never a powerhouse after that. Matter of fact, the king of Assyria went back home and he ended up being killed uh, by his own people. And I think what would happen if we as a nation, we as Christians, we really get on our knees and pray for our nation? Because the Lord said that if we call out to him, that he would heal our land if we would repent of our sins and call out to him and that he will come and heal our land and he will hear us. And that is our hope. For us to be praying, for there to be revival, for there to be on our knees and seeking the Lord. And that happened during the days of Hezekiah because it was spoken that judgment's going to come to you guys. 
because of Ahaz, because of his sin, because of what has happened. And Hezekiah didn't reject that message. And, and they're being told that as we look at, you know, there are the elders, some of them that said, Jeremiah should not die. You know, Micah the prophet, a hundred years earlier, had prophesied to Hezekiah, and God relented and spared Jerusalem from the Assyrians. And if we fail to follow Hezekiah's example, it's going to bring disaster at this time. So there are those who are there speaking up for Jeremiah. They're going to be working for his deliverance at this time. And they are trying to speak to these leaders that want to put Jeremiah to death. But as we read in verse 20, now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim. Kirjath-Jerim of interest. Kirjath-Jerim is just west of Jerusalem when you go towards Tel Aviv. And matter of fact, those of you, if any of you are listening, that you've been with us to our trips to Israel, this last one, matter of fact, the last couple times, that we had our farewell dinner in Kirjath-Jerim. So if you can remember that, that's Kirjath-Jerim, and that's where the, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant for Samuel chapter 4. They take the Ark of the Covenant to, uh, you know, their, their temple, Dagon, um, and God begins to strike the Philistines. So they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart to send back to Israel. They come back to Israel, and the Ark ended up in Kirjath-Jerim. And there it stayed for about 20 years as uh, it was Saul the king, the first king of Israel, who was so busy pursuing David, he didn't care about the spiritual life of the nation. He left the Ark of the Covenant for those 20 years in Kirjath Jerim. So that's where the Ark was. When David became the king, that you read in 2 Samuel, that David went to Kirjath Jerim to get the Ark of the Covenant to bring to the city of David or to Jerusalem. David desired to build a temple. He had a tabernacle there. And at that time, there was uh, two tabernacles where the Ark of the Covenant was and then where they did sacrifices at another place. But the Ark of the Covenant was brought from Kirjath-Jerim where David danced before the Lord and they sacrificed. It was really quite a, a, a happening. Uh, you you kind of get to feel that distance of how far David went and walked in worship. But here's Kirjath Jerim. Here's this prophet from that area. And he prophesied in verse 20 against the city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king with all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Urijah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. So here's his prophet. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah. He's prophesying against Jerusalem. He's from Kirjath-Jerim, and the king Jehoiakim hears about it, and he, he says, I want to put that guy to death, and he ends up getting scared, and he flees to Egypt. I know that sometimes fear can strike us when people come against us. Elijah felt that, didn't he? Remember Elijah when he gave the challenge to the prophets of Baal and they called down fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the wood of the sacrifice there on Mount Carmel. And then he slew the prophets of Baal. It was a great victory. And then Jezebel, uh, the wife of, of Ahab, the king of, of Israel, says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And he got so frightened, he ran all the way down to the mountain of God in Arabia. 
and hid there. He was afraid. It was Paul the Apostle, when you read about him on his second missionary journey, he goes to Philippi, he, he's there preaching, and, and what ends up happening, him and Silas get beaten by rods, they're persecuted, thrown into the prison, and, and we read about that in the book of Acts and how they were singing at the midnight hour. And you see Paul the Apostle demonstrate such faith at times, singing while he was black and blue, at the midnight hour and there was an earthquake and the prison doors opened up and that's where the Philippian jailer got saved. What must I do to, to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he goes from there, he goes to Thessalonica where he's persecuted, run out Thessalonica. He goes to Berea, he goes to Athens where he's mocked. He goes to Corinth and he begins to minister there. And he says that when I first came to you, I came in much fear and trembling. And he said, I came preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. But we also know, as you read the book of Acts, that it is in chapter 18 that the Lord came to Paul and said, Paul, don't be afraid. Why would he say that to Paul? Paul, who had such courage. Paul, who was stoned and left for dead on his first missionary journey, and, and they threw him in the garbage heap. It says that they drug him out of the city and left him for dead. They threw him in the garbage heap. That's what's outside the city. And he gets up and he goes right back into the city. I think such courage. But there were times where he was afraid. And, and as revival breaks out, he's thinking, okay, I'm still black and blue from Philippi. I was persecuted in Thessalonica. I was mocked at Athens, and the Jews are going to come against me. And he was afraid. And the Lord says, you don't have to be afraid, Paul, because I have many people in this city. No one's going to hurt you, and I am with you. And sometimes when we are faithful to give in the word of the Lord, that we can become afraid. When we make a decision that for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, that sometimes fear can begin to grip us or anxiousness or whatever. And the Lord gives the same promise to us as he gave to Paul, as he gave to Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing in this cave? I got things for you to do. I still want to use you, Elijah. As Paul, that Paul, I am with you. And Paul, I want to use you. And we do see that Christians that are put to death for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But whatever comes my way, that I don't have to be gripped with fear, Lord, because you see me and you know me. And I'm a pilgrim passing through. And whatever happens, that, Lord, that you are going to take me home to be with you. And Lord, you're going to strengthen me now to live a life for you. And so I need those words of encouragement and not be afraid. And we see that all throughout the scriptures. Don't be afraid at the birth of Jesus, at the tomb, the empty tomb. Don't be afraid because he's alive. He is risen. He is not here. Don't be afraid for born into this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And as I think about that, I can just rest in his love and his assurance. And he won't allow anything to happen to me that isn't filtered through his hands and his will for me. And if that means being persecuted to a great degree or a little bit, whatever, Lord, 
I'm going to rest in your love and help me to be strong and courageous in this life that I am in and be faithful to you. But sometimes we can become fearful, and when we become fearful, we begin to pull away from the Lord and we begin to compromise. And the Lord knows that. So many messages in the scripture, he says, don't be afraid. Look to me. Don't be afraid, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Several times it tells Joshua that. So here he was afraid, and he fled and went to Egypt. In verse 22, then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, uh, El Nathan, the son of Akbar and Akbor and the other men who went with him to Egypt and they brought Urijah from Egypt and they brought him to Jehoiakim the king who did kill him with the sword and cast his body into the graves of the common people. And nevertheless to Hannah uh, Ahikam the son of Saphon was with Jeremiah so that they should not give him to the hand of the people to put him to death. The son of Saphan that maybe sounds familiar with, with you. Remember, it was Saphan, Hilkiah the priest, gave it to the scribe Saphan to read to Josiah the book of the law that they found in the temple. The only copy of the Bible that was there in the temple and read it, he read it to Josiah. So this, this you know, son of his has, um, you know, played an important role to help protect Jeremiah from being condemned to death. You know, it reminds me one last, and I think we'll end here. I, I was actually hoping to go through chapter 27, but obviously we're not going to make it there. But, but one of the things that it reminds me of here is that there are those who stood up for Jeremiah. There are those who came alongside of Jeremiah. And in the body of Christ today, we need each other to stand by each other, to come together, to encourage each other. We need that desperately, and I pray that we do that. That we would just come together to build each other up, to stand by each other, to protect each other, to come together as one, love one another, and, and just provoking one another for good works and love, as the writer of Hebrews says, because... These are perilous times that we're in. So, Father, we thank you for this chapter. And, and Lord, there's so much here. I, I, I go through it, and it just seems like you have so much for us to make application to, to, to in the days in which we are in. And, Lord, so we thank you for this. And just as Jeremiah was persecuted and others that, Lord, that your hand was still working through Jeremiah just as you're working through us. And Father, I do want to pray, even as we talked about, that our hope, anyone's hope, is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to die for all of us, for sinful humanity. And I pray that if you are not right with God, if you've never made a decision for Jesus, he's calling you to himself. He loves you. Whatever it is that you have done, whatever your ethnic, ethnic status is, your economic status, how old you are, how young you are, whoever you are, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to myself. That is you. He loves you. He died for every single person. And salvation and forgiveness is available. 
if you just call out to him. And he desires for you to come. The Bible says that he desires that all should be saved and come to repentance. Jesus came and died for you, specifically and individually. It was his love that kept him up on that cross. And he wants you to be forgiven and restore your fellowship with the Father. Come into the family of God and know that you have eternal life because this world is going to come to an end. Jesus is going to come and establish his kingdom and heaven is forever. You'll become a new person, have a new heart. If it means anything to anyone here tonight, will you come to Jesus? You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess I have sinned. And I come to the cross right now. I believe you died for me on that cross and took my sin upon yourself. And you cried out, it is finished. And you were put into a grave and you rose again and you conquered sin and death. I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you. I thank you for loving me and bringing me into the family of God and for this new beginning in Jesus' name. Listen, we want to encourage you and bless you and help you in any way. If you made a decision for the Lord, will you please email us, call us? We want to follow up with you. But for all of us, Lord, I just pray that in the times that we become afraid, that we would be courageous. In the times where we feel weak, that you would strengthen us. That we, all of us, would say, as for, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We pray for our nation, Lord. Our nation desperately needs you. We know that there's unity and compassion. There is love that is found at the cross. And we want to give that message. It's found in you, who died for every tribe's tongues, people, and nation. Lord, I pray that there would be a great awakening a spiritual revival for our nation. That's what we need, the gospel. To save men and women, to bring us out of the darkness into your marvelous light, to save this nation. So help us be faithful behind the pulpits to give the gospel and the light of Jesus Christ. Pray the church would be light and salt in these days, the city on a hill. And Lord, I pray that you would work mightily. Bless everyone here as we go our way tonight. Bless everyone as we finish our week. And we're looking forward to meeting on Father's Day at our live in-person service, Lord. Those who are not able to come, and Lord, I pray that they would sense your peace, that we love them. We look forward to seeing them in due time. But I pray for healing, too, of this COVID, Lord. Heal our land. Lord, we have gone through so much. And we turn to you and we need your help. We need you, Lord, so desperately. Lord, bless everyone as we go our way. Make your face shine upon us. May your peace reign in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope that we can see you on Sunday on Father's Day, uh, 8.30 and 10.30.
out in the backyard or here in the sanctuary, wherever. God bless you. Have a great evening and great rest of the week.